Hello, and welcome to The Mastering Show. My name is Ian Shepard. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, John Tidy from reaperblog.net. And this week, uh, we're very pleased to have a guest, Jay Fernandez, who is working... Well, he's very close. The reason we've asked him on is because he's very closely related to our topic this week, which is audio in games. Yes. Um, John and I had a... Uh, a really interesting 25-minute discussion prior to last week's episode where we discovered that we're... Well, I knew he was an avid gamer, but I don't think he knew that I enjoyed playing games as well. And we kind of got to the end and said, oh, we should have recorded that. And then we thought, well, let's make an episode because there's a load of interesting stuff. So, Jake, maybe just uh, start off by introducing yourself, giving us an idea, you know, what it is you do. Yeah, absolutely. So, as you said, I um, I work in audio with games. So I do sound design, I'm a musician, I do mixing and what we call mastering for video games, even though the workflow is um, sometimes non-existent. And <laughs> I, I also do a lot of other things in video games. So I work at the Behemoth, I also do freelance. Um, so it's it's sort of all over the place. Very cool. And immediately you've said something that I'm interested in, because I mean, I, so I'll be upfront with everybody. I know almost next to nothing about the realities of mastering or not in games. I I mastered one soundtrack for a game uh, way back. It was a game called Primal, which was on PlayStation. Oh, yeah. I don't think it was a huge hit. And it, I was literally mastering the soundtrack. So I did the CD release, and I, I don't even know whether they used the mastered, my mastered audio in the game or not. That's my only kind of professional experience. I, I mean, is there such a thing as mastering? What, what is it that you call mastering? In relation to the actual audio that goes in games, there's not always a mastering workflow that exists like in linear media. Like you mentioned doing the CD release for Primal. And in that sense, we would do you know a, a legitimate mastering pass since we're treating it like a CD. But for games themselves, it can vary from engine to engine and even game to game, where sometimes you're just doing more of adaptive mixing as opposed to doing a like literal mastering pass on assets or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of what I thought. I mean, do people do, um, I, I guess that depends on everybody's individual workflow, whether somebody kind of bundles up all the audio and sends it off to an audio engineer to have it. I'm guessing they must, to get some kind of consistency between, say, the effects and the music and the atmospheric stuff and all the rest of it or maybe that's all handled in the game i guess you the thing because a game is a live it's the audio is being rendered live you could do as much or as little processing as you need to i guess people would want to minimize that just to keep the the processor load down because the computer's probably already struggling with all the graphics and stuff and you think that's right right yeah and it's it's definitely a trade-off smaller games and studios you might not see as much work go into that process so maybe some of the sounds will sound a little bit out of place, while larger AAA studios who have more money to put into their audio studios might have that type of pass where they'll go through and make sure the audio sort of all matches each other. But in relation to putting it in the game engine, you do want to keep it um, sometimes as dry as possible since you need to try and fit it into the game space, uh, especially in regards to reverb and equalization and things like that. A lot of that stuff is done by the engine. Yes. Yeah. So, so some of the stuff like your assets might be work well limited. They might have like an overall EQ that you apply to it. Um, 
but that stuff can be applied in Wise or FMOD as well. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. And even even without audio middleware in just game engines, they have simple tools to do EQ and compression a lot of times. And you can do them dynamically so that you can change how a sound reacts to what's happening in the game. You know, for instance, hearing a sound and then walking behind a wall, you might have some uh, EQ or other things added to the sound to create the effect that it's behind a wall. Yeah, I remember um, way back that was a thing in, I think, just the original Half-Life game because I remember getting a Sound Blaster Live that had hardware audio acceleration in it. EAX, that was the name of the the kind of system that they used to process the audio back then. And it was making a big deal about the fact that, yeah, if you walked down a narrow kind of alleyway or tunnel, I guess, with parallel walls, it would sound that way. And I definitely heard that at the time, although it kind of sounded a bit unnatural to me. Yeah, and that's that's still the, the problem, unfortunately, is even though technology's gotten a lot better, you know, things like head-related transfer function and occlusion and, you know, active reverbing games is still very CPU-intensive. So a lot of times you still have to fake it. Um, and it doesn't quite sound realistic, but it's pretty close. Yeah, and it would be... I mean, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves because I was going to kick things off by just asking why each of us think the audio in games is important and to kind of give some examples. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of a perfect example because, for me, for me, it's just that audio so affects the degree to which the game is immersive, you know? Uh, you, if in a game where the audio is working and everything, you know, you kind of... There's convincing stereo effects as you move around or the... I mean, that's the one of the first times I remember being amazed by audio in games was when I first played Doom, the original Doom. Um, and I was just delighted to discover that it was in stereo. So, like, you would enter a kind of a new bit of the the map that you were on, and you would hear something in your left ear, and you could, you know, it was a kind of early warning system. You could spin around, you knew there was going to be something to shoot at over there. Um, and when the, I don't know what the name of the monsters was, but the ones that shoot fireballs at you, um, you know, right. if you dodge it out of the way, you heard the fireball shoot either to the left or the right. Um, and I just remember thinking that was, that was so cool um, in comparison to you know, stuff that had gone before where it was probably mono and it was probably 8-bit. Um, so for me, I mean, that's what I love. I love games that I kind of lose myself in, in terms, you know, so exploring worlds and getting lost in a story somewhere as opposed to puzzlers or, or shoot 'em ups or whatever. Um, so that that for me is why the audio is, is important and why I just so enjoy it when it's well done. How about you guys? John, let me ask you first. Important for me is is definitely the, the spatialization, um, the warnings from when things are behind you and things like that. One kind of, one kind of bad example is, um, or an example of where it's not great, is in Minecraft, because there's All right. creepers are always behind you. Uh, <laughs> and I guess in headphones you hear it a lot more, but just on speakers, I, it's not really coming through. They're always like just right behind you and you're like, there's no warning. So... Um, <clears throat> So that's so that's important. But, but they're, um, but they're also called like creepers. The, I mean, is that because they creep up on you? They do. Play they Minecraft, do, and, and then they explode, and then they explode. So that's <laughs> the the problem with them. They don't just attack you; they explode, and most of the time they will kill you in one hit if if they're close enough. So um, the other thing is just uh, consistency in volumes across all the games that you have installed, so you're not constantly 
you know, it's, it's the, the loudness war affects video games as well. I think it has gotten a lot better in recent years. Um, maybe you can talk about that, Jay, a little bit later. Yeah, definitely. So for me, audio is really important in games for a lot of what you both touched on. It's the idea of having something else to give the user feedback on what's happening in the game. You know, whether it's you're being attacked or you need to do something or something just happened. So there's an audio cue for it. And also, you know, especially with music, since I come from a music background, there's a lot of emotional things with audio and games as well that I just feel like wouldn't be the same if the audio was non-existent or was, you know, very, very poorly done. It, it really does take me out of certain games when I'm playing and then something plays and it's really distorted or plays too low and it's like, oh, well, that moment probably would have been cool. <laughs> that's music is a huge thing for me i mean i just uh so two two games that pop into my head when i think of that are missed and and i think riven especially the the audio was even better in in riven than it was in the original mist game and actually um i just recently played a game called firewatch which i think you've um been involved with in some way haven't you jay yeah i worked with campo santo on a lot of things for firewatch mostly managing all of their qa and making sure that it can release on console and then doing some audio related QA for them as well. That's very cool. I mean, I, I love that game. Anybody who's listening to this who likes games, I can't recommend Firewatch enough. Um, and and the audio was one of the cool things about it. You know, you're you're wandering around this kind of mountain landscape uh, and, you know, the, the kind of wind, the leaves would rustle. The You know, they paid attention to all the details. You walk through the water, it sounds slightly different. The footsteps seem to change uh, depending on what you were walking on. And there there was a, a really nice use of music in that. I mean, kind of really subtle, but it seemed to me, I don't, you might know the answer to this, Jay, it seemed to me that every time I went to a particular location, which was a canyon, um, a particular piece of music would kick in. Um, right. And, uh, it, you know, it was it just worked really well. And that there's a kind of a nerdy question I was going to ask. You were talking about processing audio depending on the environment that the player is in. I wonder whether people do that for music as well. So the sound of the music changes, you know, depending on whether, I don't know, maybe you go underwater or that kind of stuff. I mean, that, I guess all that kind of stuff is technically possible. I don't know whether anybody does that, whether it would work if they did. Yeah, that does happen in some games where they will affect the music based on what's going on. I know Killer Instinct and the latest SSX actually remix songs based on what's happening. So they use a buffer to you know, kind of look ahead and change what's going to happen next in the song based on what you're doing. And some games also use that to an extent for experience purposes, like if an explosion happens or something and it's supposed to emulate tinnitus, you know, the music will be subdued or completely turned off just to give that feedback mm -hmm. of, you know, how deaf you should feel right now from the explosion <laughs> yeah. near you. I love that kind of stuff. And I've just thought of an example of when music really, well, I guess ruined the gaming experience temporarily, which was in Half-Life, the original Half-Life, um, because in, in that game, the audio was stored on CD. And the only time you got any music was at certain points in the story. But I couldn't stop the CD drive on my computer going to sleep. 
So what would happen is you would play for about 15, 20 minutes. It would come to a really dramatic moment where you were going to see something cool and that would drive the plot forward. And then the whole game would grind to a halt while the CD drive spun up. Oh, sure. It would take about five to ten seconds for the music to start playing. It was, you know, it was like, way to ruin the moment, dude. <laughs> yeah, that's a buzzkill for sure. That's probably my personal computer configuration rather than... Although, I mean, I'm, I'm not here to kind of point fingers, but Half-Life 2, I also had audio problems with my when I originally played it. And there was a thing there where they, the, the, the audio just wouldn't buffer fast enough or wouldn't load fast enough when you'd get to a certain point. So there'd be some huge event happening. And again, all the audio would just kind of grind to a halt. Um, and it was hugely distracting. But I digress. These are all kind of technicalities. John, what's your favorite game for audio? What's a game where the audio has kind of just blown you away? Yeah, for me, I, I think Fallout 4 did a great job with the audio. There's a lot of variety um, with the movement, all the action sounds, all the gun sounds. It doesn't sound at all repetitive when you're even when you're doing the same things over and over. Uh, there's a lot of games that that are really bad at that. Uh, Seven Days to Die is horrible for that, but it's still a, a very fun game. Uh, so I think yeah, I think Fallout Four and any of the the big games of that size, uh, pretty much anything Bethesda has put out is good for that kind of stuff. Cool. Jay, how about you? Yeah, I think Fallout 4 is definitely up there for me for recent games, and a lot of the Battlefield stuff also has some really impressive game audio in it. My most recent favorite, I think, is going to be Inside, which is by the same developers, uh, Playdead, that did Limbo, if you guys are familiar with Limbo. Inside's yeah. a really crazy game. Yeah, the the audio for that one was definitely one of my recent favorites just because of how they used it to really create these different emotions and feelings at various parts of the game. And I was I was more or less impressed by, you know, not just the quality of the audio, like it was all recorded and done very well, but the way that it was implemented was also, you know, very artistic and very well done. That's cool. I, I'm going to have to check that out. I, I played Limbo and loved it to a large extent because of the audio. I thought the, the, the music and the, everything in that was, you know, quite, quite simple. You know, I mean, like it's quite a simple design to the game, um, but incredibly effective. Um, so I love that. I agree with both of those. I'm going to pick something different. I'm going to pick something a bit more old school. I love the audio in System Shock 2. Um, oh, that's a good one. Just because it, it scared the hell out of me. Um, there are these kind of zombie characters uh, roaming around in it. And, you know, it. I mean, partly because they were pretty much deadly. So you knew if you heard them, you were in, probably in trouble. Um, but also, uh, it, yeah, I just got to the point where, you, you, you know, I was terrified of hearing these things. And, and they had some pretty varied and interesting dialogue as well. I'm not going to be able to remember any of the things they used to yell now, these zombies, but... I think it was things like, kill me, <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. It was really effective. And System Shock 2 had an amazing, or some amazing spider monsters that made this kind of electric kind of buzzing shock sound when they hit you, um, which uh, always made me junk, jump and reminds me of the, the head crabs in Half-Life 2. I'm pretty sure they stole that from System Shock 2. And System Shock 2 had pretty cool use of music. As I remember it, it would... It would change, like you were talking about, Jay, it would change the tone of the music depending on what was happening to you um, and really use it to help kind of build up the tension. So, you know, it'd be kind of spooky when you were wandering around somewhere and not much was happening. And then 
a ton of monsters would start chasing you and suddenly it would get much more frenetic. So all of that stuff's I enjoyed that. Limbo was great. Oh, and the other one I was going to mention is a game called Defcon. I don't know whether you guys have come across that. It's by a little indie games company in here in the UK called Introversion, who are actually based in Cambridge, just down the road from me. And Defcon is basically, you know, the um, the end of the film War Games, where um, the kid accidentally causes to the the supercomputer to kind of simulate and initiate oh, a global thermonuclear right, war. Right. Right. Way back in the 80s. It's basically like the end of that. Um, so you get to play global thermonuclear war. And I think the slogan of the game is something like there are no winners. And I mean, it's an amazing game because it's it's fun, but it's also kind of thought provoking and pretty dark. Uh, and the, the the audio and the, the music in that is just really well judged. This kind of really spooky music and these little sound effects that happen. Um, and you're basically staring at a map of the world the whole time and just zooming in and out on this kind of glowing graphical map of the world but the the effects uh react to how you what, what you're doing in the map and how you move it around and stuff so that's very cool anyway okay let's talk um, about loudness if that's okay <laughs> i'm kind of interested in not talking about loudness, but okay let's talk about loudness <laughs> or, or um or let's I mean, let's maybe make it for um for people that are new to game audio let's say you're a sound designer you never worked in games what are some things that you should avoid if you want your game to sound good when you're uh, with your assets that you're putting into the game? That is a really good question. That's sort of my goal right now in game audio, I guess you could say. Um, I know that Ian has read one of my recent blogs about loudness and why it's important in video games. Yes, excellent post. We will put the link to that in the show notes on themasteringshow.com for anybody who wants to check that out. Highly recommended. Yes. Thank you. And the the reason that came about was because I noticed a lot of people, whether developers or sound designers that were new to the industry or even sound designers that have been in the industry for a while, they just didn't know a lot about loudness because it's not the same standardization as it is in television or music, especially television, um, where it's mandated by law in a lot of places. So... A lot of things that you can do to start out, I would first just recommend grabbing a loudness meter and looking at what the standards are, whether it's R128 or the ITU1770 loudness standards to just kind of familiarize with the terms, uh, loudness units, you know, LUFS, things like that. And try and just see where your creations are at right now. Uh, you know, take songs that you like, pop them in there, take games that you like, run it through your meters and see how it reacts. And once you're a little familiar with what it's actually measuring, then you can start working on how to make your own creations not quite as loud for people. And honestly, a lot of them are centered around either just care when you're mixing your game or care when you're implementing and testing your game to make sure that there's no bugs introduced, which is pretty much one of the biggest reasons a lot of games have not super great audio. Yeah, so I mean, I should probably say anybody listening to this who the, the kind of the discussion of loudness is new to you, like loudness units and LUFS, rather, rather than on a big tangent here, if you look back through past shows, there is an episode specifically about loudness where we go into all of that in 
really some depth. <laughs> Probably more depth than any sane person would want. Um, so check that out if you want to kind of catch up. But yeah, I mean, one of the interesting things that I found uh, from your article, Jade, that was, I mean, you, you did a little bit of kind of um, informal research, which I thought was interesting, really interesting, which you can tell us about in a second. But Sony actually require their developers to conform to the r128 specification is that right yeah sony is one of the only platforms right now that actually requires you to follow a loudness standard in video games and gary taylor has actually outlined in gdc talks and a few other things that i've i've linked on my site how they came up with that and what the actual numbers are that you're trying to hit and their reasoning is if you're playing something on their platform, they want people to have a good experience no matter what game they're playing. And sort of like John mentioned earlier, having to switch from one game to the other and then being blasted by something really, really loud or having it be incredibly quiet is sort of a problem for user experience. And so that's one way that they're trying to make that better for people playing their games. Yeah, because that's interesting because, I mean, I, I I love playing games, but I don't actually do it that much. I guess it's one of the curses of being self-employed. Um, there's always something more important to do than play a game. But when <laughs> I do, I tend to play probably one game. Um, so I don't flip between them. So I haven't really experienced that the whole disparity. But I mean, just to use an example that I have noticed, and actually where I think the whole loudness thing has a negative impact on on the gameplay, on the experience. Um, I mean, I love the Bioshock series of games. I think Bioshock 1 was pretty good, but I, I don't have any particular memory of number two, but Bioshock Infinite, which is the latest game in the series, I don't know whether the overall loudness is significantly louder than other games, but the thing that I noticed about it is that everything is loud in that game all the time. So that thing I was talking about in Doom, where you could, you know, you could tell if there was a monster kind of over to your left, you know, if it was a long way away, it would be quieter. Um, in Bioshock, you can hear things and it sounds like something is breathing down your ear. And actually, it's like hundreds of yards away in the, the universe of the game. So for me, that's a game where it's a real shame that they made that decision. I don't know whether that was a conscious choice. Um, and I've actually um, seen other people, other you know, users complaining about it online i mean jay have you do you know whether that game happens to be also much louder than everything else or is it just that there's not much dynamic variety within the game i actually do um that game is a lot louder than other games okay it's uh some people have also done measurements of their own and sometimes i turn on my meters when i'm playing games and that game is quite a bit louder than most of the other ones I was measuring, like maybe even eight to 10 decibels on average. Wow, okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot louder. Well, that kind of confirms my, my instinct when I was playing it. And it just seems, like I say, it's a shame because I'm guessing it would be quite easy to implement in an engine. I think, Jay, you mentioned there's a game that where you can choose whether you want the, the game to be very dynamic or not. Um, cause you know, there are times when you wouldn't want a game to be super dynamic. You wouldn't want kind of really loud sounds compared to really quiet ones. If you're playing it in a noisy environment or you're playing it at night with the kids asleep upstairs or they're playing it upstairs and you want to chill out or whatever. But you know, you, I would imagine you could just have some kind of scaling ratio where, you know, you say, okay, well, here's the maximum difference between the loud and quiet sounds in this game. And then if we want to scale that down, the, the user can just choose a, a parameter. Right. And Dynamic range is really important with games in that sense because 
just like the reasons you said, you don't always want really, really wide dynamic range or really, really narrow dynamic range. Sometimes you want something for a specific reason. And a lot of games nowadays are giving users more of a choice in how their audio is played back to them, whether it's multiple choices for dynamic range or multiple speaker configurations, and sometimes a combination of both. I know Uncharted 4 definitely lets you choose how dynamic you want the sounds to be in one of their menus. You can you can tell it if you have small or large speakers and how you know how you want it to play back, which is really really pretty fascinating from somebody who does audio uh, that users are into that. Well, and that raises the question about uh, tell us about the the kind of the informal research you did in the and that you talk about in the blog post. So one of the things I wanted to do was help show with what little evidence I could that it is important for people to consider loudness in when they're making a video game, regardless of if you're a sound designer or not, and even for users playing games to have this type of thing from developers. So I sent out a little research questionnaire to a lot of different people, some gamers, some not, some professionals, some not, and just tried to get a general list of feedback from them about if they had ever turned down a game because it was too loud or had ever complained that a game was too loud and also if a game was too quiet. I asked some other questions about how they play games. Do they play with headphones or speakers? And then the one that I was really curious about was if anybody had remembered a time when they had stopped the audio or taken off their headphones because the game was too loud or they felt fatigued or you know other descriptions that people have said when there's sort of grading audio playing for a long time. Surprisingly, a lot of people had. And, and so it, it sort of confirmed my suspicions that even though people might not realize it, they are, they are being affected by how loud or quiet games are. And it's something that we as developers and designers can do to make our product better for them. See, and I found this fascinating, mainly because I, I can't remember the statistics. You'll, you'll be able to tell me. What kind of percentage of the people was it who said that they had, uh, they remembered a game being too quiet? Something like 65% was it? Yeah, so it was it was slightly louder, or sorry, it was slightly more for people who thought it was louder than who thought it was quiet. But even games that were too quiet, it was still hovering around 40 or 50%, which is problematic because it means that the, the range of loudness is still quite large between games. It kind of gets back to a point that I'm always making, because, I mean, we can't know. I mean, even when people complain about a game being too loud, there are different reasons why people might say that. One could be if it was like Bioshock Infinite for me, where it was just kind of too loud all the time. And, you know, it, it either kind of spoils the experience of the game or it becomes fatiguing. Another possibility would be uh, where some a game was very dynamic and the person had the, the volume cranked up because they were in an area where not much was happening and then some loud event happened that kind of made them jump or was uncomfortably loud for them. Right. Most people would say that that also was too loud, but that's kind of the exact opposite of what we typically mean by loudness war loud. My kind of takeaway from that is just that what you need is to be in the sweet spot. You want a perfect balance between dynamics and loudness 
so that the quiet stuff feels quiet, the loud stuff feels loud, but it's not fatiguing, um, you know, and you can hear everything all the time in your chosen environment. So, I mean, it was, and yeah, I was, that, that surprised me that people noticed because the, the feedback from music tends to be that people don't just generally don't care about loudness. They notice if, if kind of loudness varies a lot, it annoys them. That's why we're getting loudness management in all of the online playback systems and on, on MP3 players and stuff. Um, but, you know, I mean, there's even, there was even some research done by Sound on Sound magazine where they didn't even bother to change the processing on songs. They would just literally play somebody something and then another version, 6 dB quieter. Um, and when they analysed the stats, they found that users, in terms of whether they like the music or not, they just didn't care. Um, but obviously in games, people do. Um, John, were you, did you, was there an example of a game where you kind of, loudness was a problem for you? Actually, in the PlayStation 3 home screen, when you put in a disc like it, it starts to play some music like the the menu item has background music and an image and between games mm -hmm. right, um, on the xmb yeah on, on different games there would be a big difference in volume so let's say grand theft auto 5 totally normal volume minecraft would be normal maybe a little loud and um the lego movie game would be about 24 db louder than everything else a lot of the lego <sighs> games are bad for that and then when you get off of the menu into the game, is it then... It, it stays loud. It's distorted, like, all the time. <laughs> I don't understand why. See, but all, see, the, all the Lego games we no, have are, are distorted. And uh, Now, the irony of that is that... That's, so that's PlayStation, right? So that's Sony, who... who and it, they should be complying with the R128. Only in PS4. The, uh, the loudness standards apply. Right. So that, okay. that standard didn't exist for PlayStation 3 and that thing that John mentioned with the music on the menu they actually do look at how loud that is using the the LUFS value and you can fail if you submit your game and it's too loud and they'll tell you to to make that quieter now i have to say that i think that's really cool of sony um and that's probably comes from people like john complaining about earlier playstations i would guess yeah from the the kind of just the wild variations but the, i mean you saying about it being distorted that's what i find so frustrating um i mean particularly on a gaming console i mean it's hard for me to believe that any user would be more or less impressed by how loud a game is I c it seems to me that differences in loudness could only annoy them but the really frustrating thing is that because you're mixing the sound live well a there seems to me to be a huge risk um, because, you know, it, it, the whole thing about mastering is we have the audio and we process it, we optimize what we have for the widest possible range of listening situations. That kind of, That's kind of what mastering is at its most fundamental level in terms of music. But in terms of a game, you can't know that because you never know. I mean, I guess there's a certain amount of control, but, you know, if a user happens to set off, I don't know, 10 grenades at once instead of one, there's the potential for that sound to be 10 times louder than the sound of one grenade going off. And the game somehow has to, to cope with that. The obvious thing for me is to use something like R128, where at the very least you have a huge amount of peak headroom to avoid distortion. I mean, obviously you probably also would want to use some kind of compression and limiting system as well, I guess, to, to manage that loudness. Um, and, you know, I guess the game can detect how many grenades are going to go off at once and, and scale the, the sound effects appropriately, you know, ideally even have a different sound effect for a massive explosion as opposed to a small one but yeah it just seems to me like such a wasted opportunity to to make everything super loud and just 
pile everything in so that it, you know, even if there was a limiter there that was causing that distortion, it just seems like a like a real wasted opportunity and a real shame. Definitely. Um, that wasn't a question. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, okay, so here's a question for Jay: um, How do you actually set your system up so that you can monitor the loudness? Is do you need a special console to do that? Not necessarily. There's a few ways you can do it. If you're a developer, the dev kit, especially for PlayStation 4, has some tools built in. Uh, one of them is called Sulpha, S-U-L-P-H-A. It allows you to measure loudness directly from the console. But the way that I do it most of the time, since I'm usually consulting on games that I'm not developing for, new systems have a optical out. So I bought a sound card specifically that allows me to do an optical in input. So I just plug my console straight to my PC and then have it measure the audio directly from the console that way. And then my PC, I have all of my, my measurement tools there so that I can see what the loudness is, what the dynamic range looks like, things like that, and record it if I need to. So if I'm playing for a few hours, I can just have it record the audio and then go back and analyze it later. Mm. So when you're doing that, do you, um, do you leave the game at the default volume or do you crank it right up or do you put it halfway or how do, do you, is there any, cause I guess the, the optical, having a digital connection gets rid of one variable, which is how loud the analog outputs and inputs are. So you don't have to calibrate in that sense. Right. Um, but even then you've got a, you've got the system volume control of the, the, the machine and then the in-game volume control. How do you deal with those? Usually I just do default. And if I'm working with somebody on that, I, I tell them like, this is the default settings for the Xbox one or the PlayStation four or PC. And I'm just using the default settings in the game as if I had just booted up the game and hit start new game, no right. changing settings, nothing like that. And the reason is that is, going to be the most common use case for the game. So I'm trying to see how loud it is for, you know, 90% of people that are going to play. Yeah, there's other people that might change their audio settings and, you know, change the mix a little bit. But, you know, we're looking at sort of the common player who just wants to get in, have fun, play the game, and then, you know, go do whatever else they're going to do. Hmm. Absolutely. So, okay, let's, let's just kind of, that's one practical thing that people can do if they're interested in, in doing audio for games, you know, whether that's something they want to get into or whether they're already doing it, uh, you know, kind of assessing and measuring loudness in terms of say supplying music or effects. Um, I guess there's kind of two different questions. One is what kind of audio processing you do and then how should that be supplied to a gaming company i'm guessing stems are going to play a big part particularly if if you have an engine where the the music can be mixed interactively based on what the the character's doing but often, i mean i imagine and you'll tell me if i'm wrong about this if i was given some audio to master for a game i would just master it as usual because the the kind of the loudness that i've settled on over the years i feel is a good balance between having enough dynamics to work musically and emotionally but controlled enough to work in a wide range of systems. And that's, you know, typically that's going to have a peak to loudness ratio of overall probably 11 or 12 dBs at least. 
if that got played, if that got used in a PlayStation game where you're using R128, you know, the reference level there is minus 23. So uh, if there's like 8, 9, 10 dBs of peak headroom available in that, I would imagine that's going to be fairly helpful for the game developers because they can then add in a ton of stuff on top of that music if they need to, even when it's full blast, without even needing a limiter or any other kind of dynamics control. Does that sound reasonable to you? This is that fun part I talked about earlier where it sort of differs depending on company, game, studio setup. Uh, ideally, yeah, like that, if I got assets delivered to me that were set up that way, it would it would be fine and it would work for, for what we needed for the most part. But sometimes you do sort of bake in what you want out of the asset instead of having the engine do all of it. So if you really want to crush something or have a specific asset be really loud compared to other things like explosions, gunshots, those are generally printed louder than we would ambiences or, you know, quiet movement sounds like cloth, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. And partially that's because game engines don't really like turning things up. They're only really good at turning things down. So for me personally, I run a lot of my sound effects and music very hot, so to speak, you know, loud. In audio terms. Yeah. And then I use the engine to turn it up or down and mix based on taste. But what people sometimes confuse that with is that my audio is very distorted and that's not the case. You know, I, a lot of sounds, I do have a lot of headroom so that if we need to um, turn something up or crush it or compress it in the game after the fact, then we have the ability to, and especially with compression, you know, if you're working on mobile, you will be compressing almost all of your audio files to either MP3 or AUG. So you want to make sure that you have enough headroom to allow for compression, you know, and things like that as well. So there's a lot of moving parts when you're, when you're doing audio for games. One layer is the sounds that you create, the music you create. And the next layer is how it interacts with the game engine and when it's implemented. That's interesting. So, I mean, effectively, you're saying there are no rules. Uh, you know, if somebody was asked to supply audio for a game, um, they need to liaise pretty closely with the developers to see how it's going to be used, what kind of processing they're going to be doing, um, and take it from there, I guess. I mean, I think maybe the the my suggestion of just mastering it as normal as a starting point um, because I guess, especially if it's a smaller company, they might not have audio specialists on board. They might not necessarily. Um, I mean, it's ironic because you were saying earlier on about how, you know, your kind of your top flight A grade games might have better and more consistent audio in comparison to the indies. But actually, we've mentioned a ton of indie games here that I think have superb audio. Um, and, you know, Bioshock is one of the, the, the biggest game franchises in the world um, and is one of the examples of where I feel like it. You know, the audio doesn't live up to that. Um, so that that's kind of interesting irony. That game in particular had a lot of stuff cut out last minute. Like 50% of the content was removed. Gameplay content? Yeah. Okay, so now we want to know what was removed, John. That's... <laughs> But, but so Bioshock Infinite, that's fascinating because it's a huge, huge game anyway. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of fundamental like selling points of the game 
changed between announcement and release. So I'm going to have to run away and search for the YouTube videos that yeah. are going to tell me about this. <laughs> I assume that a lot of game audio stuff kind of became a lower priority. And, you know, maybe... Oh, okay, so you think that that was to do with the rush release thing? It could be that, you know, they, they had a really ambitious idea and probably had to change a lot of it between different beta cycles and, you know, the actual release probably had to, like, you know, they probably had re the restrictions of the PS3 and the Xbox because um, limited memory, they had to be limited to what could fit on the disc, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely a lot of reasons it could have it could have been like that for sure. It's fascinating, and I would I would love to know the uh, the thing you're saying, Jay, about you run your audio pretty hot. Um, I'd be quite interested to get some numbers from you, but that that brought to mind um, the latest Doom game. I haven't actually played it, um, but I've seen a couple of YouTube videos of the the music. You know, just specifically of the music tracks from the game and the guy playing it, and it's it's basically kind of really technically accomplished. Uh, I guess EDM influenced metal, I would say. Yeah. Um, some some pretty cool stuff going on, uh, but really loud. Um, not horribly distorted. Um, you know, more squashed than it needs to be for my taste. But then I would say that. Um. But not to the point where I kind of feel like it's it's necessarily suffering. It's just kind of, and it's actually pretty impressive how loud he gets it and how clean he manages to keep it um, sounding. So yeah, have you got any numbers, Jay, for 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 loudness if you're preparing stuff for for use? Yeah, and when I create assets, I don't actually use a lot of loudness metering unless I'm doing music. So for sound effects and things like that, if I'm creating, you know, maybe some gunshots, maybe some punch sound effects. Those are going to be really transient and they're probably going to be a little louder than some of the other things in the game, like footsteps or, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. So because I usually use the engine to mix in the end anyways, I'll just create those assets, making sure that my peaks are okay. So I'll measure true peak and make sure that I'm not going to be doing anything super crazy uh, generally, I stick around um, negative one for my true peak, mm -hmm. and that allows some room in case of compression or other things. And as far as the loudness themselves go, I'll usually just play it by ear and try and have them be around the same loudness. You know, I do know some people that say like, okay, explosions are going to be negative six LU, and then my ambiences are going to be negative thirty, and I don't necessarily do that at that stage for me uh, usually in trying to save some time and because the assets by themselves don't usually exist that way in the game like your example of the grenade the grenade by itself might be perfectly fine and i can put it at a loudness that makes sense but once we put it into the game if there's going to be 20 of them playing at once then I'll have to adjust that in engine anyways. So mm. the loudness of the individual asset becomes less important. Sure. And and for music, if you're going to be mastering music, what kind of, I mean, do you have a, a kind of an overall loudness in mind when you're mastering that? Yeah, usually when I do music, since I work for smaller studios and the 
the stuff I've done on my own, I try and just use the standards that already exist in the music industry, especially with the YouTube and you know Spotify and others are sort of following suit. So I, I try and aim for around negative 16, negative 18, um, just for general loudness. And then my true peak and everything is the same idea, negative one, just in case there's anything that I need to do in engine. But it's also a little different because if I'm mastering for, you know, a soundtrack that's going to be released by itself, then I'll treat it like I'm, you know, I'm doing a music CD, like I'm doing an album, Mm -hmm. uh, which is slightly different than I would if I'm putting it into game because some stuff might be added in the game. You know, we might have a limiter or a compressor on the master bus for the game itself. So it might be getting a little squash there. So I might not compress it quite as hard mm-hmm. um, on its own. That's cool. And I guess the, at that point you're relying on the quality of the limiter that the game designers used. Or do people just, is it kind of, are they using open source stuff where they just plug in the standard algorithms across a ton of different games? If you're using middleware like FMOD or WIs, those have um, compressors and limiters built in that work really well. And if you're using just the game engine, like Unity or Unreal has some stuff like that sort of built in, they're, um, they're not great, <laughs> but, but they, they do the job for the most part. So you might have to be a little more careful how you're mixing and you might have to manually uh, limit yourself on top of that. Um, custom engines, people will pull whatever alg- algorithm they find. Um, you know, if they're building their own game engine and their own audio engine. Yeah, sure. Cool. Well, what I was going to finish off with was just saying how excited I am about the future of audio in games, because I don't know about you guys, but I feel like audio in games has always lagged way behind the graphics. Um, I mean, if I think about, say, Myst as an example, there's a game that was stunning visually for its time, um, but the audio was only 8-bit. Um, and even in the remastered kind of uh, anniversary editions where they updated all the graphics to use more than, I think the original was only 256 colors. So they, they you know, th- re-released it with thousands of colors and extra renders and higher resolution images and stuff. This, the sound effects still have the kind of crunchy 8-bit distortion at the end of them. The one that I always think of is when you um, first enter or leave one of the different ages uh, or use one of those linking books. This is kind of really distinctive sound effect that tells you you've arrived somewhere and it just kind of tails off into this at the end of it, all this 8-bit hiss. Anyway, so, and, and I kind of feel the same thing is true even today. I mean, right now, um, the 3D audio specs are being agreed or have been agreed, which is effectively binaural audio. So I think I mentioned it briefly in one of the other episodes where if you want to record a binaural sound yeah i mentioned it in the stereo episode you use a dummy head with microphones mounted in the ears so that the sound that reaches the mics has been shaped by the the dummy head in the same way that it would be shaped by our our real head um you know any audio we get interacts with our head and then with our ears which have a very specific shape and all of that colors the sound and gives us all kinds of extra clues as to where the sound is coming from so you can get this amazing it's not genuinely 3d but incredibly lifelike sound and the idea of that being used in games uh you know i mean it's pretend like you were saying about things like occlusion you know does a sound come from behind a wall or not 
are you underwater or not? Uh, do you have a sack over your head or not? <laughs> All of these kind of things that might happen in a in a in a game situation. The kind of the potential there for using that stuff in audio um, is really exciting, and I guess we're probably getting to the point now where processor speeds um, can handle this stuff. I mean, it's almost a shame that I mentioned the 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 EAX standard that was around when the original Sound Blaster cards came out. This kind of idea of of audio acceleration, because you know every computer we have has graphics acceleration these days, where effectively there's like another little mini computer inside your main computer handling all the visuals um, and leaving the CPU free to do other stuff. It would be kind of nice to have the same thing for for audio, to, so that you know the the audio processing could get that much more sophisticated. I mean, is anybody working on stuff like that? One of the new exciting things in games right now is, especially with virtual reality really sort of taking off with the Vive and the Oculus and all of those options. Binaural audio, 3D audio, and uh, ambisonics, things like that are all becoming used in games and being looked at more as legitimate avenues for how we can design audio in games. And even on the back end, there's still really impressive things happening that don't have anything to do with that stuff that's just better, uh, you know, HDR systems for audio, dynamic compression based on specific assets or frequencies, things like that. Um, I mentioned HRTFs earlier, which you touched on, which is really exciting. So there, there are games that are starting to look at, you know, 3D audio and things like that as, as their default. Like VR without those things is much less immersive. So it's it's almost uh, necessary in a lot of games that are coming out. Yeah, VR is is really cool. Um, there's actually there's, I mean, one thing is if you look at there, you can now get 3D videos in on YouTube, which if you view them right. in the Chrome browser have 3D audio built in, and there's a really cool demonstration of that um, that I saw recently. We could put a link in the show notes. You know where you you basically you're watching the video and you drag. The video around and your view changes and also your audio changes and yeah it's using you said hrtf that's head related transfer function is that right right which is some some kind of mathematical way of encoding the effect that our head and our ears have on the sound so you're kind of creating fake 3d uh audio in a gaming environment uh john have you heard anything like that you you've enjoyed i hate it Grinch. <laughs> why? You, you mentioned why. 360. I, my my brain just checked out for a few minutes. I I really don't <laughs> like. I don't enjoy it at all. And I don't I don't like. But you talking about sound. the video or the audio? Both. I I just don't like it. Do you not like surround sound? I I hate surround sound. I hate going to theaters and hearing stuff behind me. It's it's not enjoyable. To why? Me. It's pretty interesting. I, I like to see it in front of me. I'm looking at a screen, <laughs> basically. I know I'm, I'm okay, totally if, the if, if, minority on this, but yeah, I just I just don't like it. I find it distracting, and I takes me out of the the film more than anything. That's interesting. Some of the binaural stuff I do enjoy. A film that is done first person view, which isn't too often, but sometimes it happens. Um, that done in binaural, and you're watching it with headphones that's pretty enjoyable um 
But other than that, I don't, like if I'm sitting at the computer and doing 3D stuff, I don't, I don't care. I, I hate 360 videos on YouTube. It's super annoying for me. Okay, so, but I, I have, I've enough. never had a Vive or uh, what's the other one, Oculus, strapped to, Oculus. My, to my head. Yeah. I've, I've never used one of those, so I don't know. My brother developed an app for uh, the university that he does a lot of work for. Um, it's kind of a virtual tour, and it uses so it uses the the three D, um, the Google thing, where you basically have a cardboard box that you hold up to your face, uh -huh. um, and you put the smartphone in, and it projects a stereoscopic um, picture. Um, it's surprisingly effective for what is basically a cardboard box. Well, it is a cardboard box <laughs> held up to your face, but yeah, it's I haven't used a proper vr headset either um so um i mean uh, th that for me is just i kind of feel like having one of those kind of things on your head is going to be the least immersive thing you could imagine but now the audio stuff i am excited about okay so if you're not excited about the future of it let's let's finish this off um by going way back in time i want to john you recommended to me another podcast the Twenty Thousand hertz podcast recently mm -hmm. i think anybody listening to this show i loved it i think anybody listening to this would also love it i i shared an episode on my social media where they're talking about analog uh the move from analog sound to digital which it's kind of a it's, it's a perspective we've touched on but they really kind of um came at it from a an enjoyable angle as far as I was concerned. So I'd recommend anybody who takes a listen to that. But they also did one talking about 8-bit sound um, and referred right back to the first ever computer game, which, of course, was Pong, <laughs> the, the tennis game where you had a block that bounced across the screen and had to be reflected between two other blocks. Um, and there's a really cool bit where they're talking... I mean, the, probably the first game that I... There are two games that I remember for audio right back at the beginning of computer gaming. One was Manic Miner, which just had this insane tune that went round and round and round the whole time and was basically just bleeps being played out of a, a ZX Spectrum uh, computer. And then the other one was on the Commodore 64, which I think is called Spy Hunter. It goes do 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 over and over again. For some, I mean, I guess it was unique at the time, so we just loved it. But I've got a soft spot for all that kind of eight-bit retro stuff. Have you guys got any um, old-school games where you really enjoyed the, either the music or the the sound effects? I think uh, Asteroids had good sound. Any of the games that had like explosions and stuff, they were like really crunchy sounding. You know, turning a a, a beep into an explosion um, just through the you know the primitive tools that they had. I just, it just sounds cool. Mm -hmm. And I love incorporating that into music if I can. Yeah, I quite like a little bit of 8-bit audio now and again. How about you, Jay? Uh, yeah, definitely. That was a lot of my childhood was playing some of that. So for me, I think the first time I really got excited about audio and video games, it was when I was playing Mega Man and just listening to the music. I was just standing at a level, not doing anything. And just listening to the music track play and that was it like it was all over so a lot of the classic nes games uh we had an atari 2600 too so some of those i still like snake and tron i still remember how those sound which is kind of fascinating well that was what was fascinating about the pong sound effect because they i mean it only had one sound effect no it had two sound effects it had one for one bat and one for the other bat and they were literally just beeps um you know it was kind of so low tech but then they play it and you hear it and you go oh yeah 
that takes me back. I guess lots of people listening to this podcast, um, you're going to have to search for YouTube videos of the original Pong so you can so you can enjoy with us the sounds of yesteryear. <laughs> um, fantastic. Well, uh, thanks, guys. I really enjoyed this. I hope people listening did as well. Jay, thank you so much for, for coming on and uh, providing uh, some valuable knowledge to... I think actually John seems to know quite a lot about this, but I know almost nothing. I'm just um, an enthusiast. Um, if people want to um, find more of what you've done and read that, well, I mean, we'll put the links on the on the show notes, like I say. But what's the URL for your blog if people want to take a look? So it's on my site, www.fernaudio.com, like F-E-R-N, forward slash loudness has my original loudness blog post, and then it also links to my newest one. That's where most of the stuff is. And if you want to know more about just audio in video games in general, there's another podcast that's really good about a lot of that and actually goes into details that you guys would probably be interested in too. And that's the the Beards, Cats, and Indie Game Audio podcast. John knows about that one, I'm sure. Yep. Say that again. Beards, Cats, and Indie Game, game Audio. audio. Yes. Okay. I'm not going to ask why. I'm just going to go and listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool fantastic so unless you guys have anything else you want to add have we missed anything do we need to cover anything else no we talked about loudness we talked about our favorite games we talked about how I hate 360 video I think we covered it <laughs> <laughs> excellent um, John thank you so much again for uh, being my co-host and in advance for editing and mixing this episode um, everybody should head over to reaperblog.net to check out what John is up to if they haven't already please head over to themasteringshow.com and sign up for the hot list uh, email notification thing please also head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review if you've enjoyed the show uh, it helps lift us up the rankings and lets more people find out about us and hopefully enjoy the podcast as well thanks again to Kaylee Law for letting us use his music as always, and thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.